Somehow, someway, Adam Gase is still the Jets head coach on Friday morning. The Jets fell flat on their face yet again Thursday, losing to the previously winless Broncos led by undrafted fourth-string QB Brett Rippian. At 0-4, with a tough schedule coming up, where do the Jets go from here? Jets great, and radio voice Marty Lyons will join us to talk about how bad this football team is. Buckle up, we're keeping it real. Next, on Gangs All Here, from the New York Post. You play to win the game. All right, welcome to Gens All Here, everyone. Jets uh, 37-28 losers on Thursday night to the Broncos. And when, just when you thought things couldn't get uglier, they get uglier with the Jets. Uh, 0-4, second straight year. And there's not a game on the schedule we're looking at right now where you say, I think the Jets are going to win that game. Thursday night was that game. The Broncos all banged up. No Von Miller, no Cortland Sutton, no Drew Locke. Playing a third-string quarterback, making his first start. Playing at home on a Thursday night. You, you thought, you know, that this was the one that they could pull off, and they couldn't. Jets, you know, they had a fourth-quarter lead. Then things caught up to them, like not scoring touchdowns in the game and kicking five field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. And the personal foul penalties. Quinton Williams gets called for a face mask when he sacks Rippon on third down. Looks like the Jets would be off the field. Instead, the yellow flag comes out again. It was a theme of the night with the Jets. They get new life, and Rippon, uh, you know, finds Tim Patrick down the sideline, the legendary Tim Patrick, and he finds a hole in the zone with the Jets. It's just, you know, a mess. And they they go on to then score a late touchdown to put kind of ice the game. Obviously, the big question this week was would Adam Gase survive if the Jets lost? He did survive. The Jets decided not to make a change. I know that's not going to make fans happy. I know that's not going to make Jake happy. But uh, the thing is, I don't think firing Gase right now changes much other than making fans happy. I wrote that this week in the post. You know, it's just it'll be to make it if if you desperately wanted to make a change because the way they look, I kind of understand it. I understand where you're coming coming from but if you think about it it's going to be Adam Gase's offense they're not going to they can't change offenses midstream Dowell Loggins will now be running it Greg Williams I guess would be your interim coach he didn't look that good on Thursday night either you know his his defense was atrocious and has been most of the season so I'm not sure you know if if your argument is Gase doesn't deserve to keep his job well I don't know if Greg Williams deserves a promotion either right now so there's there are no good answers for this team right now the roster is terrible. The coaching is terrible. Everything's terrible. You know, everything about this team right now is terrible. And I'm not sure what changes it unless these guys, some, you know, somehow look in the mirror and, and figure out a way to play better. But I, I don't know if they're capable of that, honestly, because, uh, you know, they just have so many holes on this roster. With that, I'll turn it over to Jake, who I'm sure has plenty to say uh, on this topic. Jake, take it away. <laughs> Well, I'll try not to yell, but I, th- I think right now Jets fans are just pissed off and tired of the losing, tired of losing to bad teams, tired of losing to a fourth-string undrafted QB, Brett Ripien, who they made look like his Pro Bowl, Super Bowl champion uncle, Mark, on Thursday night against guys like Tim Patrick, the almighty Tim Patrick. And my argument is this is you're right. If Adam Gase is fired, this team probably is still going to be a losing team. Let's be real. They'll probably still be something like a two and 14, three and 13, um, whatever the final record may be. As you look at the schedule being difficult, but sometimes that change is what players need for a kind of kick in the ass, a kick in the rear end 
to try and, you know, play better and realize, you know what? We just got a guy fired. Like, what are we doing? We're playing like crap. We know we're not that talented, but we got to put our better effort out there. I don't care if there's not a fan in the building to cheer us on. We have to play for a coach, and we did not do that for Adam Gase. And I think there is some semblance. There's something to firing a coach and guys getting a kick in the rear end. Is Greg Williams the guy to take over? You're right. His defense has sucked. They got eviscerated by an undrafted QB. They had so many boneheaded penalties. Steve Smith eviscerated him with comments we'll talk about in a little bit after the game. But in my opinion, as a Jets fan, how do you keep Adam Gase here? The Jets are the laughing stock of the NFL. They have not progressed. Sam Darnold's getting worse. The playbook, you know, you saw it on the, the two-point conversion. You saw it on a Frank Gore wheel route. He's 37 years old, and you're trying to get a first down on third down with Frank Gore's been in the league forever, who's who's good, but that's not the play you draw up for a guy like Frank Gore. So we've made excuses from the injuries to the personnel, and listen, those are still valid excuses. There were a lot of injuries. Becton was hurt coming to the game. Idoga gets hurt 90 seconds in. Becton comes in injured, which that's maybe an issue with the uh, the. The trainer that Becton maybe, you know, that's a rookie saying, I'm good to play, I'm good to play. Maybe he shouldn't have been in there. But Gase was one and seven start last year, cause the team was doomed. They finished six and two, but they ended seven and nine. Gase lost to the 0 and 7 Dolphins last year. He lost to the 0 and 11 Bengals last year. He lost Thursday to the 0 and 3 Broncos led by Brett Ripien. He has 10 double digit losses in 20 games. He's 1 and 11 in the first half of season so far, essentially putting his team out of any, any semblance of a playoff conversation before you could even utter the word playoffs. The team is 7 and 13, seven personal fouls, one with three seconds left last night over 100 yards and penalties a heartbreaking back-breaking penalty on Quinn and Williams on a face mask to rip being on third down in the fourth quarter that would have got on the Jets off the field and he said after the game cause to you guys this is not the way we are going to play well Adam Gase it is the way you have played and there's only so many times I could hear after a game we're not going to play like this we have to get better we have to get better it has been the same old song every week, same post-game press conference. And the talent isn't there. Yes, but there has to be a change. There has to be something that changes. And usually, unfortunately for the head coach, it falls on them. We see it in baseball so many times where a manager's gone. We've seen in the NBA weeks into a season where coaches maybe were wrongfully fired, but they were fired, and we have seen teams play a little bit better and play with a little bit more heart. And the Jets haven't done that. When in the NFL have you ever seen that, Jake? I mean, I don't have exa- I haven't written down examples, no, but... No, I did. No, I did. I looked since 2010. Okay. There's been 20 coaching changes midseason. Only two times has the team... had The interim coach had a winning record 18 times the guy didn't have a winning record, or it was like a one and oh or something i'm talking about you know more than four games it's never worked they've never made the playoffs it works in the nba it works in the nhl it works in baseball but the, it's completely different in football because of the system you can't change systems midstream so i'm not arguing adam gay should be back here in 2021 do not get me wrong he should be gone at the end of the season or if you want to get a jump start on the coaching search in december you know if this if this continues to go this way and if he turns it around somehow different story but if you want to get a jump on this in december and say you know what we want to start targeting Lincoln Riley or, or whatever college coach you want to target. They can't target coordinators with other teams. They can't tamper with those. But if there's a coach out there that you want who's a free agent or a college coach, you can do that. That makes sense to me. If you want to fire him then, firing him now, just all it does is it, what you said, there needs to be a change. It's a change for the sake of making a change right now. It's not going to make this team better. Greg Van Roten was interesting after the game in Indianapolis. He was on the Panthers last year and they fired Ron Rivera midseason. And he said all it did was make us go further in the tank because you're telling me, 
you're telling the players the season's over. And while fans on the outside, fans, the media, the, the season is over, right? Like we're looking at this season is over. They can't thinking that they can't think that in the locker room right now these guys have professional athletes have more self-confidence and more self-belief than you you can even imagine so those guys still think they're going to turn this around they they believe that they're going to turn this around if you fire the coach now that's ownership saying no we don't think like this is not going to change so it, it, it would be i just don't think it makes sense right now jake if you want to do it later in the season, if this, you know, if they get to zero and nine, zero and ten, you want to fire them in the bye week, go for it. I get it, but I think you, I think there's, you know, I just don't think it serves any purpose right now, other than throwing red meat to the fans. I think it's a mistake for them if they do. I know the reports out there that they might commit to him for the rest of the season. I think that's just a mistake because if you're zero and nine, I don't think they're committing to him the rest of the season. I didn't okay. see that anywhere. I have not heard that. They, they, this was about today. This was about Friday. You know, the day after the game, they were not firing him after the Broncos lost because that had been talked all week would would they fire him if they lose the Broncos I don't think anyone's committing to him for the rest of the season uh if they're 0 and 10 I you know that, that would be the bye week I believe if I'm counting right 0 and 10 would be the bye week that's a natural breaking point where you say okay we're going to move on 0 and 10 is a possibility right now looking at the schedule so you know the other thing I would say about the personal fouls I think this is a problem with the way the Jets are structured to be honest with you the day Adam Yates was hired he said I'm going to hire a head coach of the defense right he basically did that Greg Williams controls the defense defense completely well the defense had seven personal fouls last night so to me that's on the head coach of the defense the same way last year when the defense played well we said great job by greg williams adam gase isn't doing a good job so normally i would look at those penalties and say that's on the head coach but the way this Jets team is structured, is it's. I don't agree with it. I think when the Jets do re-examine what they want a head coach, they need to have a guy who's more of a CEO of the team and not so focused on one side of the ball. They've had a guy focused on one side of the ball now since Rex Ryan. Rex was defense. Todd was defense. Adam is all offense. They need a guy who is the head coach of the entire team. And uh, I think that's a big problem for them. And I think going forward, they need to look at that closely. Yeah, we, you know, we can agree on that. And it took a lot. I will, I will say it took a lot for me not to yell today, but it is early in the morning and it is Friday. You know, the weekend is coming. So there is positivity. There's more, you know, better football to watch on Sunday and Monday. Um, the Titans and Steelers won't be part of that, but I'm impressed that you can even care as much still, Jake. I, I sense apathy coming in from fans now. And I think a lot of fans are saying, you know, they're done. They're not watching the rest of the season. And I kind of believe them. I know some people will never turn it off, but I think the casual fan is gone for this season <laughs> and it has been gone for a long time because it's just not really much to watch right now. And because here's uh, why guys. You know, we're in New York, man. And I'm seeing it from the Mets. I'm seeing it from the Jets and I'm seeing it from the Knicks. I'm not just seeing losing. I'm just seeing complete and utter ineptitude and just yeah well bizarre like, I'll, give you this one. I'll, I'll give you this one jake i turned on espn this morning and they had they have their computer uh the fpi that generates different things you know and so they they have a thing of the who who's most likely to get the number one overall pick in the nfl draft okay number one the new york giants and i think it was 28.7 percent chance Number two, the New York Jets, and it's 28.6% chance. And number three was like the Jaguars, and they were like 8%. They were way behind the Giants and Jets. I mean, this is pitiful right now with what the Giants and Jets are going through. I mean, you weren't born in the 70s. I was born in 1976, so I didn't see it. 
but I've heard about the seventies and the, you know, the plane flying over giant stadium for the giants and the jets obviously going through the transition from Joe Namath and having so many losing seasons. This is just, this is an unbelievably bad era of football in New York right now we're living through. And you know, it's just depressing and it's hard to see it turning around. Maybe if one of these teams ends up with Trevor Lawrence next year, it turns around, but that's where we're at right now. We're already talking about the number one pick and on October 2nd. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, every show is going to be the tankathon, the Trevor Lawrence uh, podcast yeah. because the the longer it gets the more you think about it and we did you know we saw one incredible play from Sam Darnold that I think I know you were in the press box probably like what in the yeah. world just happened the Red Sea parted Darnold put on a Madden like juke move uh, stumbled a bit but made his way to the end zone of the best run of his life and then the rest of the game it was kind of the same old song he was missing a lot of receivers obviously his receivers aren't, uh, you know, the, the likes of, you know, Wayne Corbett and Keyshawn Johnson out there. But, you know, he's, he was missing guys. He, he got sacked a few times. The offensive line was not good. You had, you know, centers playing left tackles. You had left tackles coming in and out and in and out and shuffling out. Guys playing injured. So, obviously, he had some excuses there. But, you know, the more we see from Darnold, the more negativity that comes out of it because we're not really seeing a ton of progression. We see every game, I feel like, that that one play where we're like, wow, the, the throw to Barrios, the run. Yeah, he makes one play a game. He makes yeah. one play a game that makes you go, wow. You know, whether it's San Francisco, the throw to Barrios where he's rolling to his left, last week the touchdown throw against the Colts, and then the run Thursday night. I will say I thought he played better than he did Sunday. I mean, you know, he wasn't throwing the ball to the other team last night. So that that was better. I go through this, like, where are you at with Sam thing all the time. And, you know, I kind of – I feel like the guy could be a good quarterback on a good team. If he had a good running game, a good offensive line, a good defense, he'll get you to the playoffs. He'll be good enough to do that. He's never going to be the top five quarterback in the NFL that doesn't, you know, regardless of who around who's around him, you know, watch. Aaron Rodgers, people go down around Aaron Rodgers and he, you know, the, the Packers draft a quarterback in the first round instead of giving him a receiver to throw to. It doesn't matter because Aaron Rodgers is that good. Sam isn't that. And I don't think he's ever going to be that. You know, if they have the number one pick, uh, it's going to be interesting what Joe Douglas does. I, I think you have to take Trevor Lawrence if that happens, but maybe he makes a trade for a bunch of picks and continues to build around Sam. They owe him a lot of money still next year. So uh, there's that too. I don't, they, they can't just walk away from him. It's it's hard to judge him right now, Jake, just because of what's around him. But I don't love his decision-making a lot of times. And he just hasn't, you know, when's the last time he had a really good game? And maybe that's because of Gase. Maybe that's because of the surrounding cast. But I don't know. I just feel like it's been a while since we've seen him dominate a game. He hasn't thrown two touchdowns in a game, I think, since last November. You know, still a lot of questions about Sam. <laughs> that that line alone, cause is insane when you think about it. Like, two touchdowns in a game is not yeah. a world beater. That's that's a that's an average quarterback's day. Rippin had two touchdowns. Rippin, the guy, I mean, Brett Rippin outplayed him last night until he started throwing the ball to the Jets in the fourth quarter. But, like, you know, if you're sitting there at halftime, you're like, this kid from Denver is outplaying the Jets quarterback. You know, this undrafted guy that's making his first start. So, yeah, I, you know, I have to double check that for sure, but I'm pretty sure he has not thrown two touchdowns since last November, since they had that little winning streak in November. It's 2020, so obviously Brett Rippon and Mark Rippon switched bodies for the night, and clearly it was Mark that we were watching at quarterback. That's what it felt like. Things have to change, and I, you know, tweeted a poll yesterday about win or losing Gaze gets fired up. Fans are in a weird spot. A lot of fans wanted to lose and Gaze fired. He's still here. They're in a weird spot with the quarterback. They're in a weird spot with the head coach. They're in a weird spot with the defensive coordinator, Greg Williams. And I know you were writing and everything, but it, if you missed it, Steve Smith tore into Greg Williams' cause. 
Um, he said the defense is about that BS. His defense is about that BS in regards to the penalties where at the end of the game, you were there. You could probably give us a better idea of what exactly happened, but essentially there was almost a, a skirmish. Fangio walked off the field. He got his players off the field, but uh, he also said Steve Smith, until something changed, I see what it is. If it smells like a pig, it looks like a pig, and it's oinking. Then guess what, my friend? It's a pig. Take us through the ending of that game there. Yeah, I mean, I had my head down writing a little bit, Jake, so I wasn't totally paying attention, but I know Steve McClendon hit Rippin late, and it was like the end of the game. They were basically running out the clock, and he hits Rippin late. The, the personal fouls were just crazy, and, you know, I think they were all pretty good calls, and one Quinn Williams was maybe a little questionable, but just undisciplined football, and, you know, when Greg Williams teaches them to be violent, we know that. You know, he the guy got suspended for Bounty Gate for a reason. You guys can all Google Greg Williams audio 49ers and find an audio tape where he talks about hurting 49ers players including Frank Gore back in the day you know that's how he coaches uh he's aggressive and you know border he kind of toes that line of being dirty and it got a little dirty Thursday night and you know Vic Fangio who coached with Adam Gase in Chicago they were on the same staff they're friendly took his team off the field didn't shake Gase's hand you know so it'll be interesting to see you know Fangio said after the game he was just worried that there was going to be a a fight because his his sideline was getting so mad but you know Greg Williams Last year, you know, he was the one getting all the praise. This year, he's got to get a lot of the blame because, you know, to me, Jake, they had the game won. You know, I know it wasn't pretty. I know they kicked five field goals, but it was 28-27. All they had to do was get off the field, and they were about to get off the field, and Quinning gets a face mask penalty, and and then they give up a long pass, you know, to Tim Patrick, you know, which they're playing this, this zone. He finds a hole, so everything's a mess right now, and I just looked it up, Jake. The last time uh, Donald had two touchdowns in a game was against Baltimore in December, December 12th last year, so it's been six games. Games, he's had you know one touchdown or fewer uh and if you if you want more than two you have to go back to the washington game last year november 17th when he threw four uh and that's really since gase has been here the last two years that's the only game where he's thrown more than two touchdowns is that one and four and then his rookie year he did it two times he threw two for three touchdowns against the packers and the broncos as a rookie well you could say brilliant offensive mind. You could say maybe Darnold's just not developed, but across the board, it's bad. And you're right, Greg Williams is on that list too. And you know, when Gase is fired, Greg's gonna go with him. I mean, he he, yeah. he hasn't really done anything to save his job either. Uh, and as we've said over and over, it could only get worse. The Cardinals come to MetLife. Next, the Jets will have a little bit of a longer break here as they try and get healthy. I mean, getting a Dogan Becton back. Um, that was alarming. And one last thing, Darnold, do you, I mean, he came in that game way into that game a little too quickly. It felt like it felt like they, they should have held him out after, you know, hurting that shoulder immediately. Everyone was like broken collarbone, broken collarbone. Obviously he seemed to be fine, but I didn't like that. They kind of rushed him and then put him in on a third and five. I would have let Flacco finish that drive. Yeah, we left Flacco off the drive. I didn't really understand that. Things happen quickly on the sideline. I actually had my binoculars on the sideline and saw Sam come out of the locker room. And he came out, the minute, the way he was walking when he came out of the locker room, I'm like, he's going back in the game. He wants to go back in. He came out, grabbed his helmet, and I think they told him, no, like this was before the drive. Flacco's going in. And he stood on the sideline, he warmed up a little bit. And I think he just said, I'm warm. And he went in the game, regardless of the down and distance. And, you know, Gase has... 
Gase is calling the plays. I'm not sure how aware he is of, uh, that he's even going into the game. You know, maybe we'll find out a little bit more from from Gase when we talk to him again about that that decision making process. Well, he had a sprained shoulder, right? Sprained right sh- shoulder. I think Gase after the game sprained right shoulder, which I mean, he looked fine throwing the ball. He made like the, the one that one rollout where he made the 20 yard throw was was pretty uh, after he came back in. So his arm looked fine throwing the ball. So he's definitely going to play against the Cardinals. You think? I mean, we have to see. I mean, that's still uh, like. We, we probably won't know anything until the middle of next week, but I would, I mean, it'd be very, if, if he can't play Jake next week, like then somebody has to answer a lot of questions of why he was in that game last night. So logically I think he's going to play. And that and the Becton situation we'll watch for in the next week. And we'll know by the next episode of Yang's all here, we'll come at you next Thursday to preview that game against the Cardinals. It's going to be a lot of previewing games, just hoping for one win, just one win. Uh, it's like the Little Giants. It's the Little Jets. It's the uh, 2020 edition as they try to, you know, stop the bleeding. But joining us next is a guy who always stops the bleeding. It's the Jets radio voice, author, member of the New York Sack Exchange, Marty Lyons, right here on Gangs All Here. Joining Gangs All Here next is a longtime Jets defensive tackle. He played for the Jets from 1979 through 1989, where he was part of the New York Sack Exchange. He was a Walter Payton Man of the Year. He's in the Jets Ring of Honor. He was also an All-American and SEC Defensive Player of the Year at Alabama. Now he's the Jets radio color commentator, along with our buddy Bob Wischusen on ESPN Radio New York. He's also the author of If These Walls Could Talk, the New York Jets stories from the Jets sideline locker room and press box. It is Marty Lyons, number 93, joining us. Marty, welcome to the show. Jake Brown, Brian Costello here. Um, How are you, man? Are you well-rested? I know you got home late from a late Thursday night game. Yeah, Jake, I'm doing well. You know, a little disappointed, you know, the Jets starting 0-4, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, obviously the big topic, Marty, is Adam Gase. Where do you stand on on, on Gase, and uh, do you agree with the Jets keeping him here? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to judge, you know, Adam. You know, you're not playing with a full deck. You're not playing with your entire team. And unfortunately, you know, nobody takes that into consideration because the nature of the business in the NFL is win. doesn't matter what players you put out there. You have to win, and you have to perform, and you have to give your a chance every single week so I'm not in the position where you know I want to hire or fire anybody I think that's left up to the you know Joe Douglas and Chris Johnson and all all those people over there with the Jets Uh, I feel sorry for Adam but that's the you know when you sign on to become a head coach you know the responsibilities and you know what can happen if you don't win yeah, Marty, just watching this team, I mean, they, their roster is just terrible. I mean, it, it's just, it's hard to judge Adam Gase. It's hard to judge Sam Darnold. It's hard to judge anything right now because the, the roster's poor to begin with. And then with the injuries added on, I just feel like there's not much hope right now when they're going on the field. And Thursday night, I thought was their best chance to win a game because the Broncos are were equally as banged up. The I wanted to ask you about the personal fouls, Marty. Obviously, a lot of them were on the defense, the defensive line, and that's a position you know well. What did you think about the seven personal fouls? Do you think that's a reflection on coaching, on Greg Williams? Do you think that's on the players? What do you think about all those personal fouls last night? 
You know, Brian, I think it's got to be on the players. It's, you know, the coaches got to stress when to pull back and when not to. But the, the players are in control of that. Uh, I thought all of them were justified, except maybe the first one on Quinn and Williams one. He actually got back there to the quarterback. And, you know, if, if you're going full speed and you hit the quarterback, there's no way you can pull back your weight from landing on him. I think that was the only one that I had a little bit of a question with. Uh, all the other ones were justified, and they came at a bad time for the defense. You know, it's third and long, and you, you keep them from picking up a first down, and then you get a penalty, and then it's an automatic first down. You keep the drive going, and, you know, at halftime, they have six penalties for 83 yards. It's You can't win. It's not smart football, and I think that uh, it falls on the shoulder of the players first, and the coaches have to keep emphasizing to them, hey, you know what, we're better than that, you're better than that, and don't do it. Do you look at Marty, you know, playing a big factor that there was no preseason, this team's trying to develop some cohesion. Do you see a lot of rust here from this team four games in? Well, I think every around the league you do. I think around the league you're seeing a lot of injuries. I think the NFLPA should really look at their themselves. They're the ones that went to the NFL years ago and said, hey, four preseason games are too much. Let's knock it down to two. And now you're seeing what happens when you don't have any preseason games. And, you know, the pandemic came in. There was no mini camps. Nobody, you know, especially the, you know, I'll just talk on behalf of the Jets. You know, there's no chemistry out there when you're playing. No continuity with the offensive line. Uh, lack of communication on the defensive side of the ball. And that all has to be developed during training camp. And all that, if it's developed the right way, then you have the trust in the guy that you're lining up alongside of. And I think that's lacking this year, not just with the Jets, but around the NFL. Yeah, I think, Marty, especially with the Jets, with all the new pieces they have, you know, some of these teams where they've been together don't, didn't necessarily need that chemistry time in training camp, but the Jets desperately did because they have so many new players and didn't have it. I'm just, I have a copy of your book in my hands right now as we're talking. Uh, it's a great book for Jets fans if these walls could talk. A lot of great stories from Marty in here. And you have a chapter in here that's called Wesley Walker, Mark Gassineau, and the Wild Card. And in light of last night and all the personal fouls, obviously, you know, hardcore Jets fans remember that Browns game and, you know, Mark Astino's penalty, the late hit on Bernie Kosar that gave the Browns life and they ended up beating you guys. And, you know, it's funny, you wrote Gastineau's play didn't cost us the game. As a defensive player, though, you always have to know the referees and you talk about the referee and his number one rule was don't sneeze on the quarterback. And if you did, he threw a flag, flag or no flag. We lost the game as a team. Could you talk about that moment and kind of as a teammate, when your teammate commits a penalty like that, that costs you a game or like last night, what we saw with the seven penalties, how do you handle that um, with a guy? Well, you know, going back to that Cleveland game, you know, we had a 10-point lead. The one late hit by Mark, all it did was keep the drive alive. And, you know what, we had another chance to stop him. That's why I truly believe that there's not one single play in a game that will cost a team a win. Because you got to go back, if there's 60 plays, 65 in a, in a game, and you make one rough in the passer, what about the other 64? You could have done something on that. And I think that the further you get away from it and be able to, you know, for myself to be able to write a book and look back at 42 years of being with the, the Jets, you realize that, you know, a lot of people are pointing the finger at Mark, but it doesn't deserve to be at Mark. It, uh, we had a chance to win. We had a 10-point lead. We ended up losing. We didn't get the job done. Unfortunately, you get a little pat on the backside, and they say, hey, don't worry, we'll get them next year. That next year never came for us. But I think that, you know, it's so hard to play in an empty stadium, first of all. You know, you need that energy 
and you need somebody to light a fire in the locker room, and then you need that energy to flow out into the field, and then you need the sideline to carry that energy because normally you'd run out in front of 70,000, 80,000 people. They're chanting J-E-T-S, and, you know, you're looking around, and you see the different faces, and, you know, it's a happy place to be at, and now there's nobody there. So all these, all the responsibility now falls back onto the players to say, hey, you know what, what type of professional are you? What type of leader are you? Are you the leader of the locker room? And I think that that's really where they miss a guy like Jamal Adams. He had the energy. He did it in the locker room, did it out there on the field. Sometimes it almost looked like when he did it out there on the field, he was saying, hey, look at me. But you know what? It was contagious. That's what they got to have. They got to have somebody that has that feeling, has that energy. It's real and it's contagious for the the remainder of the team. Marty, it might be better for both sides that there's no fans because uh, if they're playing like they are and there were fans there, you know, they might be getting booed. Fans would be frustrated. Uh, You know, you've been there watching. It's had to be weird for you in that booth. I imagine you say something too loud. You might have someone hear it on the on the sidelines. No, it's depressing. You know, you pull into MetLife Stadium. Normally, you know, there's people out there tailgating. Normally, you know, for a person like myself, I'll walk through the parking lot and see some of the fans, sign some autographs. And now you just pull in. There's nobody there. You walk through. You get uh, tested before you go into the stadium. You go upstairs. You wear a mask. You sit in the booth. And then, you know, at halftime, you'll walk out, get a hot dog, get something to drink. But there's no interacting with the people in the press box. We don't have a spotter. You don't have a stat guy. It's just Bob and I sitting in the booth with, you know, our producer, Joe Lochran. And, you know, uh, and you look down there at the stadium and uh, it is. It's a very depressing times. But, you know, you're playing a game that you love and it's a game that's supposed to entertain people, not make them depressed. Not say, oh my God, here we go again. And unfortunately, you know, early here in the season, the product hasn't been that good, and you know, people are getting frustrated. Marty, I'm curious. Um, zero and four now. What's the feeling inside that locker room? You think uh, you you write about in the book the '80 season, you know, where you guys had come off a promising finish in '79, and then it didn't go well in 1980 for you. In '81, you guys started zero and three, but turned it around and made the playoffs. What's the feeling right now at zero and four inside that locker room? You know, I think the biggest thing is everybody's looking around looking around for answers the and the answers are right there in front of them it's one another somehow they got to win a game and everybody was hoping last night it was against the Denver Broncos but it didn't work out so now you've got about a 10-day period before you have to get ready for Arizona it's going to be a bigger test but it's another opportunity you have to win a game to win a game you'll feel better about the system you'll feel better about the game plan you'll feel better about your teammates the more you lose, the deeper you go into the hole, and then there's not going to be any positives to pull you out. And I think when you're looking back at what they did last year, uh, the end of the season, you know, you win six out of the last eight games, and Adam kept the team together. The defense was playing solid, and everybody thought that that was something to build on, and it might have been something to build on had the virus not hit us in March. So. You know, you want to say with everything that's going on with the virus, pandemic, and lockouts, and and no training camp, you know, no preseason games. For the young team, the team that's trying to gel together like the Jets, you might just want to throw all the results out the window because does that really reflect the organization? Does that really reflect the, you know, the head coach? All I know is the NFL is done by numbers. And if you look at, 
I think it goes all the way back to 2016. As a team, they're 21 and 46, and that's not going to cut it. That's going to take a lot of people's jobs, and it has. You know, Todd Bowles isn't here anymore. Rex Ryan isn't here anymore. You know, you just can't keep turning the page and trying to get a new head coach without rectifying some of the problems. And the biggest problem is when you draft players, the players have to stay healthy and they have to be impact players. And, you know, unfortunately, that hasn't worked so well for the Jets. But Marty, it could get even uglier. I mean, the Cardinals, Chargers, Bills, Chiefs, and Patriots on the schedule, I mean, can you see this thing getting out of hand and getting somewhere like an 0-9 and, and uh, things changing? This thing, if it turns to 0-9, what do you see happening? Well, I see 0-9 that could possibly turn into 0-10. I can see players that are saying to themselves, hey, you know what, let's just make it through the year and maybe they don't want to be a part of the rebuild for the New York Jets. Maybe they want to go somewhere else. But what they have to realize is anything that they're doing for the Jets is on tape for 31 other other teams. And just because there's 31 other teams, if you're not giving an effort, a good effort, a winning effort for the Jets, there's no guarantees that the other 31 teams want you. So, you know, make the best out of this situation. It is. People don't understand. One day you're in the NFL, the next day you're not. It's not going to last forever. So they have got to realize that you only have a few years in the NFL. And for some players, they may only have a few days. Make the best out of it. Marty, I'm curious what it's like for players when their coach is getting coaches embattled, like Adam Gase is right now. You had it with Joe Walton. You know, everyone remembers Joe must go and kind of the, the end of his time here, which was your, you know, toward the end of your career with with the Jets as well. What's it like though when you know that that's the feels like and 1989 is a lot different than 2020 in terms of social media and everything like that. But what is it like when your coach is under fire like this? Well, the coach is under fire, but so are you, and so am I. You know, I walk yeah. into the bagel store to get my bagel and coffee, <laughs> and yeah, here I am. I, I retired in 1991, and I could yell that. What are you going <laughs> to do for the Jets? What is this? Then I go down, and I see Fred at the butcher's, and then he he goes, man, I've I've just I don't even watch anymore. He's been a, a Jet fan for 50 years, you know. So it's not just the coaches; the players go through it too. And if you're a former player, you live it too. And I just tell the fans, you know what? We got to stick with it and just stick with it. You know, and you try to tell them the truth. Don't tell them what they want to hear. And everybody wants to hear, well, Adam needs to go. Well, no, tell them the truth. You know what? Look at the roster. I said, look at the roster and let's take away the offensive line because they're all new. How many players in the skilled position or the entire defense could play for another team or start for another team? And you have to stop and think, you know, maybe Marcus, uh, Marcus May, he probably could. Um, but then, you know, the list stops. It's a very short you know, list. Jameson yeah. Crowder. Oh, it's a short list. But if you don't have a handful of those players on your roster that could be starters for 31 other teams, what kind of roster do you have? What kind of skilled players do you have? It's like playing poker. And, you know, you keep wondering, man, how, why can't I win? You know, there's no aces in the deck. You know, you're, you still get the kings and the queens, but you've got to get the aces to win. And right now, they don't have it. And I think that, you know, Joe Douglas, uh, they have a game plan. And the game plan is, you know, maybe, you know, to build. They build the offensive line. They struggled last night giving up six sacks. 
So, um, you know what? When it crumbles, you got to rebuild. And you got to start with the foundation. This is 10 years of rebuilding, it feels like now, Marty. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. It feels like they, they've been rebuilding since 2012 at this point. I wanted wanted to ask you just about the experience of writing this book, Marty. Uh, again, if these walls could talk, a uh, great book by Marty. And Jets fans will love it because Marty's lived with the Jets since 1979. So you go through all eras of the Jets here with this book, uh, whether it's as a, a player or a broadcaster. What was the experience like for you going through all these memories and, and kind of putting them down on, on paper? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have written a book unless I came to an agreement with uh, Triumph out of uh, the publishing company out of Chicago. You know, I said, you know what, first of all, I've been very fortunate and blessed and humbled to be with the Jets for over 40 years, but I have a foundation for terminally ill children that I've been working for 38 years. I said, if you will allow it, you know, as a crossover book, I'll tell a story about maybe a player or a coach that I was that I worked with. And then in the next chapter, tell a story about a young child being in the intensive care unit, bring awareness to childhood cancer, bring awareness to people that have healthy kids. What is it like to look through life knowing that you get up every morning and you take your child out of bed? You have to feed them, you have to wash them, you have to put them in a wheelchair. And that is 365 days a year. What is that like? And my hope is to bring that type of awareness to childhood cancer so that we can one day find a cure for it, that we can one day say, hey, you know what? We can eliminate that and we can preserve life for all these kids. And until then, I think we all have a responsibility. We have a you know, responsibility to try to make this world a little bit better, not just for ourselves, but for the people that we come in contact with. And especially being a professional athlete, you have a platform, you have a voice, but you also have a responsibility that you just don't go out there and play on Sunday, pick up your paycheck and say, hey, I play for the NFL. No, your responsibility is to get out there in the community and help those people that are less fortunate that can't help themselves. You know, I, I've always said that we learn from yesterday, whether we did, had a good day or a bad day. We learn from yesterday. We live for today, but we have to hope for a better tomorrow. And if we can take those three little things and implement them in our life, just think how better tomorrow is going to be. Because that's the only thing that we can ever hold on to is hope. And if we share that, no matter what we do in life, then maybe we will make a better tomorrow. Well, Marty, after a bad loss like that, certainly raising my hopes uh, with, with those words. And, uh, you know, you can go to the MartyLionsFoundation.org. You're doing a terrific job, man, with the foundation, with the book. You get the book there. Let's close it on a light note. Do you got any, you got any riff, uh, any good stories on working with Bob with shoes in? Has he, you know, has he laid down a smelly fart in the booth? Like, what, what is there about Bob? You, well, you know what? He does have that. He does have gas occasionally. <laughs> but I think a funny thing last night was, you know, Bob's birthday was yesterday. He was 49 years old. And we've been doing this 19 years together. So that means he started off, you know, he got the job when he was 29. So last night, I think it was in the middle of the third quarter, you know, the Jets were nice enough to throw out a big shout out, happy birthday, Bob was choosing on the scoreboard. So I made sure I wanted to point it out. I said, Bob, look at that. That's great. The Jets are, you know, wishing you a happy birthday. And everybody here in the in the MetLife Stadium, they're on their feet. <laughs> they're celebrating with you. <laughs> and he looks down at me and he goes, he goes, uh, you know what? That that was really like uncalled for. I said, well, you know, the people that love you, the people that care about you, you know, are are celebrating your birthday. I said, maybe it's just the four of us, the people that are on headsets. 
But, you know, the one thing that I, I really enjoy working with Bob is because of the chemistry. You know, the chemistry from day one, and we didn't even know each other. We got thrown in the booth through, uh, through the New York Jets, and Bobby Parente at that time was picking the talent. And also we had Don LaGreca and Greg Buttle back in the studio. So there was always a chemistry between myself and Greg. But I got an opportunity to meet two very talented people, one in Don LaGreca and one in Bob Shoes. And I got to see Bob Shoes' family grow. He's got to see, you know, my family growing a friendship built and now we sit in the booth and on the way back yesterday on the game uh, you know we ride the elevator down we go well oh and four here we go again <laughs> you know? but uh, yeah. Yeah, it makes you realize there's more important things than the game of football and even though the game of football is some something that we all love and we want the entertainment and we we strive to be the best in it i think if you read the book Hopefully you will walk away and understand no matter what you do in life, no matter what title you have, don't let that define who you are. Well said. And, uh, you know, we appreciate the words on Bob. I know, you know, he loves that. Happy birthday to uh, Bob Wachusen, a friend of the program. If these walls could talk, New York Jets stories from the Jets sideline, uh, locker room and press box with Lou Sahadi, Triumph Books. Go get the book wherever you get your books and uh, also donate to the Marty Lyons Foundation while you're at it. Uh, Marty, we love talking to you, man. And, uh, you know, we love listening to you and you and Bob are awesome together. And, uh, amongst the terrible season, we do have you guys to, uh, put a smile on our face. We appreciate you coming on the show. Well, my pleasure, Jake, you and Brian take care and let's see what happens in 10 days. Marty, I'll give you, I'll give you this tease for the book, for the fans, pick up the book, just to read the story about Rich Kotite yelling at Marty about a tree in his office. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in. There you oh, go. Richie, that's the tea. That's you know the tease, what? Marty. That was, oh, there you go. Richie was, Richie was great, though. You know, unfortunately, <laughs> he only won four games in two years. But, you know, I'm still good friends with Richie. And, and you know what? Uh, even with all the coaches that I did the TV show with and all the coaches I got to interview, everybody had a different personality. I learned a little bit from every one of them. You know, Herm Edwards, he was great. Rex Ryan was great. Bill Parcells was great. You know, the only guy that really I didn't get close to, and it was no disrespect to him and, you know, no disrespect to myself, was Eric Mangini. He was kind of, you know, tight-knit, but never had <laughs> yeah. a really opportunity to get close to him, and I don't think anybody did. I feel like we've yeah. heard that, cause from multiple guests about well, Eric Well, here's the amazing thing about Mangini. When he was the Jets coach, he was so tight and so, like, buttoned down, it, you couldn't get to know him. Afterwards, after he got fired in Cleveland, I should say, when he when he was done with coaching, if you call Eric now, you have a great conversation with Eric, and he's funny and engaging. And I've always told Eric, like, if you were like this when you were the coach, you would have still been the coach for a long time. Like he just his he rubbed so many people the wrong way, from players to media to front office, that it was just you know he really made a mistake with the way he approached things. But Eric Eric's a great guy when you get to know him. Yeah, and I, I said that in the book there, Brian. You know that I didn't get a chance to know him and. You know what? I wasn't going to judge the book by the cover. And, um, you know, but Bob and I are really just an extension to the Jets. We try to paint the picture. We're not there to criticize the players and be disrespectful to them. But there's an obligation that we have to the fans to tell the truth. But I, I, we've taken the responsibility. You can tell the truth and still be respectful. And that's what we try to do. And um when we, when Eric came in, we were used to sitting down every single Wednesday with Herm Edwards. And, you know, we'd ask Herm a question and he'd put his feet up on the desk and he'd go, come on, coach, you know the answer to that. <laughs> and he would almost tell us the entire game plan 
and who was going to play, who wasn't going to play, because he trusted us to to say, hey, you, you know what you can use, you know what you can't use. And if you betray that trust, I will never give you anything else. And then, you know, of course, Eric came in and, you know what, he didn't want to meet with us on every Wednesday to go over, you know, scouting reports or uh, injury reports. So, you know, he kind of distanced himself from Bob and I. And, you know, I don't think either one of us took it personally. We just said, hey, you know what, you want to be like that? We, you know, we'll go on the air and we'll do the best that we can with the notes that we have and no insight. But, you know, uh, that's the other thing that we missed this year is not being able to go down onto the field and talk to some of the players, talk to some of the coaches, really get a feel for them, go in the locker room. Uh, I built a great relationship with Greg Williams last year, and I'd love to sit down and talk to him and say, you know, like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, and, and get a truthful answer to, you know, what he sees going on through his eyes. Because he's working with these players every single day. But that has been taken away from us. We're in a different world. And, you know, hopefully by 2021, we find a vaccine and we can get back to some sort of normal life. And until then, everybody's got to stay safe and not just protect yourself, but protect your neighbor. Well said, Marty. And, you know, you can always talk to him over Zoom or, or FaceTime or, you know, not face-to-face, which, yeah. which is a new world. He's right. got to pick up the phone. He's yeah. got to pick up the phone, Jake. That's true. Pick, pick up the phone, <laughs> Greg. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Greg, you know what? I left you a voicemail last week. Call me. <laughs> All right, well, we'll hope he checks it. Maybe he's got a full voicemail box. You never know. Uh, Marty, uh, never we, know. We, we love talking to you, man, and, uh, you know, go get the book, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. Appreciate it. All right, guys. I appreciate the time. Stay well. Thanks, Marty. That seals the deal for episode 39, the Johnny Johnson edition of Gangs All Here, a New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Alex Camerata for helping me out and producing the show. As you say goodnight, do us a favor and go on Apple Podcasts now, write in a positive review of the show, and give us a five-star rating. We appreciate your feedback. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back next Thursday to preview the Jets matchup at MetLife Stadium against the Cardinals. Enjoy your weekend, folks. Stay safe.